Hi, I'm Lauren Clash Schneider with Clash Notes for Broadway Radio. I'm here with Melise Acker, the composer and writer of Hound Dog at Ars Nova. Welcome. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks. Thanks for being here. And just explore a little about your show, which is the world premiere of Hound Dog. And we meet a young musician who returns from abroad from her hometown uh, to back to her hometown in Turkey to care for her widowed father. Her parents' strange pilgrimage to Graceland unravels into a sonic mirage of memory packed with humor and nostalgia. What a blending of the worlds and what inspired this? Um, well, uh, <laughs> this was originally a commission uh, from Ars Nova a few years ago. And um, this story was sort of ruminating, I think, for, for a while with me, which was very much um, based on my uh, father's own obsession with Elvis Presley. Mm. Um, at a time when um, I did sort of have the possibility of uh, losing my mum, and that was a time in which this um, <laughs> this story was born. Ah, so it's really very personal. It is. It is. Yes. Yeah. And well, you composed Hound Dog with the Lazures brothers, Daniel and Patrick. Correct. Yes. How did that? collaboration between the three of you come about with this original idea and concept of yours? Well, the Lazours and I have sort of crossed paths in, in uh, various moments, um, and we had known each other's and each other's work since 2016. And we were waiting for um, an occasion to collaborate. And this, this was sort of the happy medium, because this um, music in this piece is somewhere between um, diegetic and and sort of pre-recorded, and we were very interested in bringing in our um, both our singer-songwriter sort of personas, and also obviously they have a very strong grasp on um, musical theatre form as well. And so it was a, a wonderful opportunity for me to learn from them uh, in how to uh, weave those two worlds together, because I've never put music in any of my <laughs> plays before so this is the first time oh um when you conceived the con the idea mm -hmm. knowing that elvis was going to play a big part of it did you envision it as a musical from the get-go so i i did not actually and um it was a <laughs> in many ways this piece functions in liminality uh and um, musically speaking, I've, I've sort of my, my team makes fun of me. The cast makes fun of me in that I've uh, referred to it as a play with music mm -hmm. um, because I would say that um, music in the play is not meant to carry action. There are Easter eggs in the lyrics about the protagonist's sort of memories with her mum, but the songs themselves exist um, like the character somewhere in between. So it, it you know, um, more like an interlude or maybe its own aria. They're sort of meant to be self-contained and there are um, implications that they are the scraps of sound and memories that the protagonist has been gluing together in her mind. Um, and they're intentionally uh, laced with sort of Americana tones. Mm -hmm. You know, she herself is uh, guilty of appropriating 
or assimilating into a, a Western sound. And of course, you trace this kind of worship to her dad's uh, obsession of Elvis. Mm. So, so, so there's so, sort of meant to live in between. And the music we hear are her songs, and they also exist outside of her, sort of built from whatever she can collect um, along the way. Right. I, that makes that makes so much sense in hearing how it evolved for you. Mm-hmm. Another collaborator, of course, the director. You're working with Michelle Ross. Yes. What insights do the two of you bring to each other in the creation of this piece? Um, well, I think in the sort of initial um, pros, in an initial uh, timeline when we were sort of in dramaturgy mode. Um, it was very helpful for for us to identify where the grief in the piece sort of lived and then what kinds of grief uh, there were in this piece. And she really helped me identify those, I would say, um, and to sort of lift those and see how they, um, how they could sort of have cohesion in the piece. So, uh, for example, the big things we discovered were there's there's multiple facets. There's a there's a loss loss of a, a parent, but there's also a loss of home and a loss of a sense of self. I would say, um, and so that was really where we where we met <laughs> in the piece. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and a, a lovely meeting, no doubt. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> From the first rehearsal, where you were in in the room with the actors presumably reading the reading the material hearing the material from then through the time that an audience first saw it were there changes and what types of changes and what kind of informed the changes for you oh i mean that's a, that's a great question in fact i you know i constantly see it as a work in progress but mm-hmm. um the big thing which is still something i i am um, grapple with and um and would love to work on is that you know this the most challenging feature of this story i'd say um is portraying an intentionally passive protagonist and mm-hmm. it, you know the, the the setup is that the protagonist has to make a a big decision about going to the royal academy of music while dealing with the guilt of having auditioned for them instead of going to her mom's funeral but um mm-hmm. The only thing she names as a want in the play is to talk to her dad, which she can't really manage to do until the very end. So the story is built around an unnamed woman, you Mm. know, with crippling ambivalence about her inability to make a decision or to even have agency and to communicate. Um, Mm. So the narrative, I I guess, is is, has always been from from the um, genesis more interested in the experience and symptoms of. Of, of compounded grief rather than sort of contributing to the culture of constantly naming or identifying action and feeling. Um, and so it's really been a delicate balance for me to negotiate this through development because I realize it's, it's very, it's quite challenging to have, you know, to name a protagonist in this way and to sort of reject the hero's journey while still trying to find ways to... Um, lift up the story and make it change. Uh, so the, that's been a big, um, a big, a big and lovely challenge. I've, I've <laughs> worked through. <laughs> no, no doubt. Um, which actually leads me to the fact 
you're a well-celebrated writer and actor and musician from Turkey, based between London and New York, and recently named by the Broadway Women's Fund, Women to Watch. How does your work in all three of those disciplines inform each other or argue with each other or play nice with each other? Play nice sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Not always play nice. Much of it is honestly to be determined. I think it's still I'm in the beginning of the road, which is a very it's a very exciting place to be. And I um, I'm fortunate enough to uh, I'll be working with the um, Signature Theatre in the next three years as a resident writer and working on material, a new material there. So I think there's much to be discovered in how those three identities can inform each other. Um, And certainly I'm, I'm working on. Uh, sort of two projects that do involve music not my own music but um my collaborators uh, one of them is um asul uh with um my good good friends um hasinta kusejas and tatiana pandiani um and the other one is called 100 feet tall with uh benjamin Scheuer. and uh these these projects you know inherently are musical and so it's once again a big sort of education for me to see how they coexist and to learn from my collaborators as well um i think my uh acting background has certainly helped me sort of look at text as an interpreter and so i think i try to <laughs> try i try my best to be um you know, drenched in story and then try to sort of take a step back and um, see how it could exist outside, outside of my, outside of my head. Um, Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Just so curious about Elvis Presley and you growing up in Turkey and Mm -hmm. family's association or fandom Will you talk a little bit about growing up there and your own recollections of Elvis and his music and how it was received? Absolutely. Um, and I would say definitely a, a part of who the character of Baba is in, in the play as well. Um, I, I, you know, I was once told that um, <laughs> reappropriation was sort of an act of reclaiming yourself, or at least that's what my dad would used to say you know seeing yourself for who you are or perhaps um who you want to be you know when an object or an icon sort of changes context or meaning it it sort of becomes yours and it's your it becomes part of your own history and your own mirror to sort of reflect or deflect Uh, and i guess for some a means to grieve and my own uh baba has you know i i use this quote in the play but he's worshipped at the altar of the west ever since i can remember and it's um, in some ways, it, it was a way of distancing himself from his surroundings and his home and sort of reckoning with the fact that he felt like an outsider there. Um, and that's certainly been my experience as well, um, moving away from Turkey and coming back to Turkey. And so we have a lot in common with my dad. Um, and I would say that, you know, Elvis, obviously, we can talk about what a problematic icon he is. But for my dad, you know, I call it colonialism. My dad calls it joy. So I think it's holding both those notions together is important. And that's um, 
that's my my sort of experience of my dad worshiping Elvis, me criticizing it and then falling sort of hypocritically into the same traps of seeking Western affirmation um, and and sometimes finding joy in it, which is complicated. Uh-huh. But um, but but yes, yeah, so I, I think even though my dad can recognize himself only through that gaze, uh-huh. at least he is able to find something um, worthwhile for himself. So mm. so that that's that's really <laughs> that's the love letter I would I would hope is in this piece. <laughs> oh, Malish, that's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. And thank you for your time and sharing so much of your insight as audiences will no doubt be going and looking for the Easter eggs that you alluded to. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Lauren. (laughs) I'm Lauren Klaas Schneider with Malise Aker, writer and composer of Hound Dog at Ars Nova. Thank you. (laughs) 